0: the reasons why parents say, well, we can't do this because how am I going to get my my child to agree to this? Like, don't we have to have buy-in in some way? Well, maybe leverage, but they don't have to agree. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting
1: newer professionals in the field of eating disorders. To those of us who have been around for a while, I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast-iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh
0: perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future.
1: The kettle is heating up, the skillet is on simmer, so join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. All right. If you've been following this podcast, I'll tell you what, you've been hearing a lot about FBT lately, a family-based treatment, parent-assisted meals, caregiver support, teens and young adults, empowering parents. And the opening soundbite from our guest today, Katie Grubiak, registered dietitian, talks about leverage being the focus to often life-saving care and definitely life-changing care, even if, let's be honest, even when a teen doesn't agree. So Katie Grubiak is our guest and registered dietitian working in the family-based treatment space. She calls it FBT-informed care and how to do this as a dietitian. Sometimes you might be the only person on the team who is FBT-informed, and how do you do that, and how do you still help the teen or the child or the young adult?" And the reason I say life changing or life saving is because kids don't get that time back. If you want to listen back to Dr. Anna Tanner's episode, we just can't get that time back. So if you sign up, the EDRD Pro course opens November 1st, next week, if you're listening live, and some live sessions scheduled for January. So sign up at any time. But I tell you what, if you want to be a part of the live series on how to look at growth charts, how to talk with parents, then go ahead and sign up. A listener comment, Tammy, a professional in the field. It's so exciting to see how much positive energy and growth your podcast is bringing to our field. Thank you, Tammy. And If you're listening today, well, you are because you're hearing my voice, it would mean a whole lot to me if you would take a moment to rate, review, and share, rate, review, or share so that we can get this message out to others. What this podcast is and is not, in the podcast, we bring in medical, nutrition, and therapy professionals who share their passions to pique your interest in available modalities for the field of eating disorders. This show is intended to inform and educate. What it is not is a not a substitute for professional training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment of eating disorders, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. For professionals, I have supervision groups that are January through June and July through December. Those are full, but I will be opening up for the January through June cohort soon, My Instagram is in the show notes and what I call supervision freebies. These are topics that come up in supervision and once a month I bring in a guest for some live Q&A time. This next month will be with Diana Richards for internal family systems and it's going to be awesome. So sign up. All right. We're here today with Katie Grubiak and Catherine, Katie. Katie is great. Okay. I've seen in an email communication that says Catherine. So I want to make sure that I'm calling you by the name that you would like to be called. So we can't wait to get to know you. I am naked, feeling naked without Abby, my co-host. So I'm going to ask her questions, but we have a few icebreakers for you. Katie, mountains or beach?
0: Oh, that's a hard one because I live actually at both. <laughs> I'm going to say mountains. Kind of
1: had a hard time but then landed on mountains. What would that why would that be?
0: Well, I actually I live in beautiful Ojai, California. Mm -hmm. And it's literally, you know, 20 minutes from the from the beach. I've lived in Southern California for a really long time, kind of crept my way up the coast, now kind of southern central California. But right now I'm in the mountains. And even my yoga teacher actually here in Ojai, she constantly is reminding us of the calm abiding of the mountains. And really how that holds. And my my town is known as a nest. And so I think it's mm-hmm. been a really good place for me in order to provide a nest so that I can do what I do with my clients, with my practice. Yeah. I think that awesome. that's like those mountains. It's uh, <laughs> basically fed by the ocean and the glorious green and water comes from all of that. So Yeah,
1: sure does. I'm a, I'm a mountain person. If I had to choose between one or the other. Okay breakfast or dinner
0: breakfast that was fast yes with eagerness uh-huh. <laughs> deliciousness excitement for the day for really breakfast. yeah okay i just recently went to ireland and it's all about breakfast <laughs> it's all and about breakfast being you know 100% included in its gloriousness <laughs> also with bed and breakfasts and i just mm. so enjoyed that so I think that's probably why I'm even more enthusiastic at the moment.
1: About breakfast. (laughs) What was something that you had in Ireland for breakfast that
0: you really loved? Well, what I loved is that it was definitely a combination of like the buffet style. And at the same time, like there was no limitation. It wasn't picking like buffet versus getting an entree. It was like the full gamut. Look at the menu. Get an entree. Go to the buffet. Everybody having multiple plates of food. I mean, in our world, right? Yeah. There's so much fear around my exposing too much. I mean, of course, you know, if somebody's having an eating disorder. That it is. That you know, that's what's going on. But to see everybody, I mean, I'm going to do that no matter what. But yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> in this mode of you know flourishing their plates and feeling you know really fulfilled by the end of the breakfast. It was. Yeah,
1: awesome. Okay, last one: audio book or paper book?
0: Audio for accessibility, easy accessibility. That's not to say I don't love paper as well, but I think in this day and age, I just notice. Let me let me download this now before I forget the title. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah,
1: yeah, same. Okay, so you're a registered dietitian, and we have lots of different levels of clinicians listening to the podcast, some who are still in their training, and some who have been practicing for many, many years, Dietitians, therapists, medical providers, the whole gamut. So when you took your RD exam, was it paper and pencil or was it keyboard?
0: Oh, no, paper and pencil. This was in 1996. Yeah. So 25, 26 years by now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: me too. And it and then you have the results mailed to you, snail oh, mail. Yeah. Oh yes. yes, I guess I didn't even think
0: about how it's different now. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you remember about that day? Very difficult because you know I was working. I'm I think within a month after graduating, coordinated program in dietetics from University of Texas. That's where I went to school. I just started working. I moved from Texas and I started living in in California. My sister lived here. And I started working at a WIC program. And the the population was refugees from Somalia and Sudan because of the 90s and the civil wars that were happening. So it was very like obviously just intense starting a new job as a dietitian, but also in a population, you know, that had a lot of need and of course, we saw other types of cultures. There were interpreters of all different languages actually hired to work at this WIC program. And all WIC programs are like, to me, I, I'm, I think that WIC really does make a difference. But this felt unique in, the, in the, the diversity that was there. So, but anyways, I think that that's what I remember is just fitting in, studying amongst a new job, amongst the intensity of that. And I think to get time off to actually take take that exam.
1: Probably. Oh, I know you set 3 hours aside, but you have to take a whole day. So, what made got you interested in nutrition as a field and then get into eating disorders
0: care? Well, I was really fortunate in knowing about that a coordinated program existed when I was in high school. So, I knew that because I had a sister who was going through the nursing program at the University of Texas and her roommate actually was a nutrition major and, you know, obviously was working on getting into the coordinated program and so forth. So I just had this kind of direct understanding of I could be certified in something of a specialty, have a bachelor's degree all in one and be employable. <laughs> and have a career path that could have a multitude of directions. That's one thing that's amazing about, you know, our profession is that there can be so many different kinds of specialties within and also, you know, directions of, of care. So I was excited, and I was already interested in nutrition health. It's just my personality, and I always tell my patients, this my eating disorders patients, this kind of one avenue that I really kind of opened up further to nutrition because I moved a lot when I was younger. And in moving a lot, that meant many schools. I went to three high schools in three different states. One was Missouri, by the way, i will have to talk about that. One was Missouri. And by the third high school, I think it was third high school was junior year, I was done. I'm like, I'm I I already know I'm gonna go to well hopefully go to the University of Texas, be in the coordinator program, get a degree. And I was like done. And it's like, you know, I'm a new student again. I don't want to be the weirdo eating lunch by myself. I'm not a weirdo. And so like, I'm just not going to do it. Right. So definitely did not restrict out of anything that was like eating disorder related, but was, didn't want to go through that. So what I noticed though, is that I had math after lunch, even though I didn't eat lunch, I had math after the lunch hour and I could not compute the board. There was just no understanding. Now I did not make the connection at the time. It had anything to do with low blood sugar, malnutrition. I'm just I not did, smart like, enough. That's I'm what we tell smart. ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So that's what happened to me. And you know, and then of course made the connections as I met friends and you know started eating lunch, things changed for me. But there was something so powerful in that that probably not the only reason why I decided this career path, but it was really something major for me Mm -hmm. and healing for me because I was already struggling so much and moving, being, feeling like the weirdo when I didn't feel like a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of knew you weren't, but you still felt that way. You
1: know, there's also a blessing in the fact that you knew about the coordinated program. I was an internship director for a while and the number of people who didn't realize that they had to do an internship was shocking when when they they did their four year program or they went to a program that didn't wasn't accredited so then they had to start over with some things to get that paper to then apply for an internship so really that co- you knowing about the coordinated program was a gift
0: Yes, thank you for telling me that. And it just breaks my heart to hear. I know, right? That's happening, but yes. And to me, that was a selling point. I mean, I do think that even if I was not in a coordinated program, I I would have gone through the steps. Mm -hmm. But even knowing that existed, I knew that there were different routes and people Mm -hmm. not really knowing that there is that. And the devastation of like all this time and commitment and then having to do more of that, I can't even imagine. So for me, being 22 and having my Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition, And within a few months writing for the exam, I just was like, I feel so, you know, lucky and yet nervous. So yeah, for sure. Um, sure. But yeah, I'm so happy that I actually went through that coordinated program.
1: Yeah, I am too. And, and you have so much to share with us today. We, you are really teaching us, especially dietitians, how family-based treatment
0: can work. And so how did you get into that? Yeah, very, very good question. And even as I've been looking and, you know, backtracking in my own mind kind of what led to one thing and then the other, I'm even amazed at the routes and the people that I met along the way that led me to where I am now. So family-based, so I probably should start off with eating disorder treatment. And I would like to even get back farther, but eating disorder treatment started when I started working at UCLA student health center called Arthur Ashe student health center, I was hired to be a dietitian, not an eating disorder dietitian, but a dietitian for the center and one dietitian for the whole center. (laughs) They didn't have a dietitian previously. They also had just funding. I was told just funding for a while. They didn't know how long this could go. And when the caps program, the counseling and psychology center on campus heard that there was a dietitian, all of a sudden they started sending, which they didn't have a route before, sending to the student health center, their students receiving therapy for eating disorders to me. All of a sudden, the flood of the amount of students coming, CAPS was so happy. And actually, I I just want to acknowledge Dr. Gia Marson actually was the head of the eating disorder program at CAPS UCLA, amazing person. And One day she showed up at my office, you know, and had team coordination, I would go over and there would be team coordination, doctor, therapist, dietitian. We would talk about our students that were freshmen all the way to PhD students, all genders, you know, but the bulk of my patient care at that time, which I was difficult for the student health center to really see because they were wanting to diversify the use of me, but really was eating disorder student or eating disorder recovery students. So Gia showed up at my office and she said, I just want you to know that you really have a skill. You have a, something is really special. I'm hearing from my client, my student clients that you're really helping them. And I know you're helping them in nutrition, but you have a way of your, who you are and your personality. She said, we need you. We need you. Obviously I know we have you here, but we need you in the outpatient setting because so many of the therapists, obviously, you know, that were working at CAPS also had their own private practices. They were working part-time and they, and she really was like, we really need you. And then I would go to the care coordination and the therapy the therapists teams would say, we really need you. You know, this was in the Los Angeles area and believe it or not, you would think Los Angeles would have all these specialists in eating disorders. Even now, you know, so many years later, not a decade later, there's still few of us. We're hoping to grow, but, and I don't know why Los Angeles of all places were really having an issue, just not having an, you know, enough practitioners. Yeah. In general, I'm not even talking about FBT, but just in general, it's just-
1: In crazy. general. And I want to say that broadly to anybody who's listening, we need you. If this is something that you- want to do and that you're hearing that you have a knack for or that you feel that knack for it, we need you. So Katie's going to teach us today some of the things that she's learned. So that's how you got into it. And I'm guessing that Gia is a, was a, when you said Dr. Uh, oh, Gia. He's a um, doctor he of psychology. Psychology. Yes. So a therapist, mm-hmm. psychologist. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Specialist okay. in disorders and yes, and still practicing. And I still care, coordinate with her on which is wonderful and we always acknowledge each other because she saw that I saw in her her ability that was of course because of her skill and all of her degrees but it was Mm -hmm. also because of her person
1: yeah and you got to sit in on the team coordination oh yeah which is a learning rich learning experience that's very very true not
0: all of us get to have that yes no it's so true so you know jobs changing and so forth I was really ignited where I felt well, you know, I'm having this acknowledgement that again it's it's my skill set, I'm a dietitian, but this acknowledgement in this very interesting area of care, first time that I had like full hour sessions with clients and by that time I had worked 16 years in public health. I don't think I had ever had a whole hour with a client to talk now Obviously the student health center didn't necessarily want me to spend an hour, but I was trying to grow. It went from like, you know, 15 minute sessions to I started asking for 40, you know, 30, because I just couldn't get, you know, to where I needed to go with the client. But this thought of like an hour with the client just was like, I can really do something here. So one thing leads to the other. And I was introduced to Charlotte Thomas, who is a social worker, FBT therapist, dbt specialist who had just arrived actually in california and she was trained in cleveland this was under mark warren and Mm, also yeah yeah winooski i might be pronouncing her name not correctly and i believe that kind of direct connection to Lagrange and Locke as well so she started training me we worked together in an eating disorder disordered eating center and I never heard of FBT, but she says, let me sit down and, and tell you what this is all about. Mm-hmm. So it was in, in that center, we were not doing all FBT. You know, we would pick and choose the cases. Charlotte would pick and choose. She would have me enter at different times. thought this is really great because, mm-hmm. you know, this it's really hard to sit down with a raging eating disorder, <laughs> you know? And if I can sit down and really empower parents, this is a whole game changer. And of course I want to meet if they'll let me meet the teen, the young adults, I'll even say preteen. I know the research is teens, but in terms of practical practice right now with Dr. Lauren Molheim, we are, we are definitely doing FBT in this large range Mm -hmm. of ages. So that's where it started. And then Lauren knew Charlotte. So Dr. Molheim knew Charlotte and Charlotte introduced me to her. And she was so excited that there was a dietitian who, (laughs) <laughs> had an awareness of FBT, was excited about it, seemed to work effectively in teams. And she's like, let's work together. So mm. this beautiful dynamic. And I'm so grateful to Charlotte. I'm so grateful to Gia. I'm so grateful to Dr. Molheim, um, Lauren, in terms of their contribution to, I mean, we've it's been about 10 years that Lauren and I have been working together, developing a way of you, you know, practicing together her leading, you know, me following sometimes I'll come up with a way of practicing and she's encouraging me to continue that or letting me be free.
1: Mm. And
0: as we do talk about, even in the course, there's something really beautiful about allowing a dietitian to go into some of the therapeutics and a therapist to go into some of the nutritional again, within comfort zones and within what is appropriate. But yeah. it? In the end, patients are getting the same message parents in this case parents are getting the same message and we allow each other we trust each other both that trust pretty quickly and that has really you know helped the pursuit of kind of developing because I think it's just not one angle. Right. And we are mirroring each other. And then we're also being creative or being inventive. And sometimes it comes out of that didn't go well with that case. <laughs> right. Okay, what are So we gonna- Katie, yeah, I'm just struck
1: by how do dietitians, if they don't have the Gia's and the Charlotte's
0: and the Lauren's, how do they learn what they need to learn? So this is why we developed this course, and I'll I mean, I'm very humbled by what Lauren says, but I think I'm going to use her languaging. She okay. says she wants to clone me, of course, not you know, and I what she's really saying is that I think I found a way to work because obviously it's always the best and the easiest in many ways to work with these amazing clinicians that you know we just have a group together we know each other we know each other style of practice we know there's going to be no splitting and yet I'm on teams that I don't have them. And then, you know, obviously sharing with Lauren specifically, like this is how I'm working, this is how I'm I'm stepping up and bringing in the FBT principles into this other case. And you know, it's being effective. You know, I'm duplicating how we work together. I'm encouraging the therapists to support me. If they cannot support me, will they actually step down for the moment? This is an mm. individual therapist. Mm-hmm. And this is not to say because they're not amazing individual therapists, but because Fbt is about empowering the parents. It's not a therapy Fbt family-based treatment is a treatment. Often what can happen I think individual therapists deal this a lot if they can if they continue to see a teen in phase one is that the teen is miserable mm-hmm. and it's just so so difficult to, not advocate for them to not be miserable by, you know, in this desire to want to change their circumstance, even though like they're very aware and they could be supportive of FBT. It just becomes not effective. Or what I even say in the course is it'll kind of allow for the eating disorder to have a place to really emote. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been in a role where I've asked individual therapists to step down, of course, with education and respect. Nice. And then to say, you know, in phase two, phase three, when we're in a, you know, in a place where the weight is improved, the eating disorder has quieted, you know, resuming individual therapy, I I think it can be very appropriate. There are some cases where I've had that were all three phases, they did not resume the individual therapy. And there was still recovery. I think it's, you know, in every case is different. So anyways, I think, you know, there's, in terms of going back to just style of practice, I found a way to work Mm -hmm. amongst these FBT principles when I am the only FBT informed practitioner and I really have to go to everybody on the team to figure out where they are in the knowing of FBT, where they are in the stance of FBT Mm -hmm. and will they allow me to move forward with leading FBT care? If I see that that would be the best, of course, Mm -hmm. I don't need to. There's another provider that's willing to do that, but I do believe that someone does need to lead it. Yeah. Formally, informally needs to lead it in order to really make it effective over the longevity of how long we are actually following these families. And this is not unique
1: for dietitians to regardless of what therapeutic modalities are being used in the team is that the dietitian is right in the middle. If we're talking medical nutrition therapy, MNT, which is what we're trained for, right? We're we're right in the middle of the doctor and the therapist, and we're going to have those back and forth. But sometimes we carry the the burden as the dietitian of of building that team that's kind of that that works with them because we're the eating disorder dietitian. Okay, so help people who don't understand the phases of FBT. You talked about phase one, phase two, phase three. So in a nutshell, what does that mean?
0: So in phase one, it's all about the practitioner in the original model. This would have been a FBT therapist. (laughs) What we're trying to open up, and this is what we talk about the course, is that really it could be in, in modified versions. We could have any provider doctor, therapist, dietitian really be driving FBT-informed care as we call that because if it's not not in the model, then we obviously need to adjust the term. So really in in phase one, an FBT therapist, I will pose a a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders who's FBT-informed, can be the one to empower the parents to 100% supervise their child Prepare, plate 100%. Their child is not involved. Their child is not in the kitchen. And so we're dealing with the child, I'll, I'll say teen in this case. So we're going anywhere from preteen, teen, young adult, where they do not have the control over their own eating. And obviously, that can be feel so extreme. The family could say, what is this? You know, obviously doctors and therapists not informed, like, wait a minute, we, you know, what about the child's voice? What about, you know, somebody being motivated to recover. And so this is why the phase one process, it's a hard sell. <laughs> it's yes, a it is. Process. I'm just thinking, yeah. Yeah. It's a super hard sell. And yet I, you know, what I, again, in Dr. Molheim and I talk about in this course is that there's a way, there's definitely many different ways to approach and make it a cell. Obviously, it's an evidence-based treatment, you know, for eating disorders. So it is proven effective. And obviously there's testimonials. We have our own testimonials of clientele. Obviously, we always protect the names, but we, you know, we definitely, you know, can let families know and that it's families that look all different. There's not just one type of family that can enter this. And again, in the course, we really talk about the variations. In the course, I talk about one family that had 10 kids, all under 14. The teen with the eating disorder was the firstborn, 14. The mom had just had a baby a month, two months prior to the treatment starting. And I go through the whole kind of arc of the treatment, but this particular mother says that she will talk to any family. It's a very religious family. She said I will even go outside my religion to speak of how effective FBT was for my family. So again, all different yeah. families, they can look yeah. so different, you know, yeah. to open that up. It's just not one, one, one avenue to care. Yeah. But again, it's a really hard sell. Some of the reasons why parents say, well, we can't do this because how am I going to get my, my child to agree to this? Like, don't we have to have buy-in in in some way? Well, maybe leverage, but they don't have to agree. Mm, Leverage,
1: Um, but not necessarily agree.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And I would say conversations I have when I do have providers that, you know, are more comfortable and it's understandable, maybe more comfortable with FBT, like allowing the parent in phase one to take over full control. When it's, you know, a preteen, maybe 14, we start getting 16, 17, 18, we start getting 19, mm-hmm. 20, the fear of like, wait a minute, you know, developmentally, it could be, you know, the fear could be, it could be um, scarring, I'm not quite sure if I'm comfortable in the older ages, and again, compassion for those providers that and and parents that are are concerned. But what we see actually is very effective treatment in all these different ages, and we do not see the developmental process of the human being being stalled. If anything, we can treat the eating disorder and get to the other side of it so that there can be more normal development, such as finishing high school, going to college. You know, we really talk about that. So again, in the course, we talk about these cases where we have college-age students you know, or beyond, I had a 28 year old that came to me treated until even the thirties. We did FBT because mm-hmm. the eating disorder was so strong. Yeah. Because, you know, we had to do modified versions of it, but we were doing FBT informed care and using mm-hmm. principles because mm-hmm. we were going to have death on the other side. Yeah. He was yeah. Wow. It, and he was willing to do it be- because he didn't want to go to a treatment center and because he was still connected enough with the family that he cared but mm. the family thought about is so that, you know, so we have all these different scenarios.
1: I want to give a big shout out to EDRD Pro. Look, treating eating disorders is challenging. As you've heard in all of our episodes, it requires compassion, self-care as a clinician, and community support within our practices. EDRD Pro knows that dedicating time to this continuing education can feel next to impossible as you juggle like caring for patients, running your business, and just life. So if you don't know about EDRD Pro, everything's in the show notes, including links to the training that today's guest, Katie Grubiak, is conducting. So if you're listening in real time, starting next month, November 2022, along with the power team of Dr. Lauren Mulheim, psychologist, and Dr. Rebecca Peebles, medical provider, pediatrician, specialist in real time. So this course includes some live sessions. So if you're interested in learning more about FBT and collaborative care with therapists and medical providers, don't wait to sign up. That's 100% supervised, preparing, plating, the gravity of the
0: situation, which I didn't hear you say, but I That's an important piece of it, right? Oh, helping the family understand. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yes, that why we're going this route is because what's the alternative? I always say, and I talk (laughs) about this in the course is that a lot of times the parents will say, well, the alternative would be if we don't do this, you're just going to talk to my child and you're going to convince them through individual nutritional therapy that, you know, they're going to get educated and you're going to convince them they're going to work with you. And then there's going to be progress. And I always say that obviously we need to educate that that can't happen, right. but <laughs> in general, overall, even educating ourselves, I think sometimes as as dietitians, we can get caught in that loop mm-hmm. because if, you know, we might say, well, let's okay. I know about FBT. I'm willing to do an FBT informed care kind of approach. The parents are really driving. Let me just start to enter this individual counseling, and let me see where I can get to. And again, admire, I've done it, done it a lot (laughs) where I can get to. And then we can talk about higher levels of care, like a treatment center, that might be another option. And what I see is it doesn't work. And also what I see is a lot of times go there and then I have to backtrack and then to try to convince for a treatment center, or to try to approach with FBT after that, the, you know, the, yeah, the, the child is like, "What? Wait a minute! You're my dietitian. What? Mm-hmm. What? Why are you advocating for us to, you know, part and mm-hmm. for me to have to go it in this different route? That is actually feels like it's it's you know it's hurting me, right? I'm mm-hmm. taking away my own control. Yeah. So I think all of these aspects again make it a really hard sell, and mm-hmm. yet there's ways to move through. And I would highly encourage no direct contact with the the teenager to start off always with parental initial consultations, discuss FBT informed care, obviously Mm -hmm. discuss treatment centers, pull out the American Psychiatric Association's level of care guidelines. I actually encourage to really talk about where FBT falls in that. And the psychiatric association does respect FBT and encourages it, but they haven't yet put where FBT would be on that. <laughs> on that, so, I know they're so. They, I keep hearing that they're going to be updating, but yes, yes, I actually saw a version. It's not; it is a work in progress. Okay, that has beautiful statements regarding <laughs> okay, FBT, but I still would love it if they would put FBT and and in the course. I even say, you know, and again, I, this is my own style, but definitely, you know, not something taught or manualized at all. Mm-hmm. But FBT the, is the equivalency in terms of the amount of supervision, the child not having choice of residential. Mm-hmm. And yet it can be effective if a teen is still qualifying for a PHP or IOP, mm-hmm. you know, and yes. then in an outpatient setting, if we're wanting to move into progress and there's more concern of different other behaviors, we could go there as well.
1: Is there for, so we've talked about phase one, I want to hear about phase two and three, and then the course for sure. Okay. Is there time guidelines for these phases?
0: So what's beautiful, I think is the answer is no, mm-hmm. <laughs> no FBT. And in terms of, you know, really talking about it, I know for myself and Dr. Molheim, we usually talk about a year going through the three phases we also talk about how not going faster is more effective or going faster is going to be a problem. It can vary. We also talk about the fact that we might need to go back to a phase. If we're in phase two and in a phase two to describe phase two, a very slow hand, hand back of control to the team. Um, I heard you so say very. Yeah, we do a very, very slow. slow. Yeah. <laughs> and we really encourage that to be very slow, like starting mm-hmm. off with the And again, this all starts when we meet what I'm going to call, and I'm going to go to my notes because actually in the course, Wednesday, January 11th at 5 p.m. Pacific, we're going to be having a live discussion about calculating estimated target weight for age. So talking about phase two, so obviously that in the course is what we're phrasing it is coming from Dr. Rebecca Peoples, who does, uh, who is presenting in the course as well. We just want to make sure that, you know, getting to phase two means meeting, and I'm going to use our phrasing an estimated target weight for age, meaning for the moment, knowing that with age, the target is going to have to change with height is going to have to change that they're in a, in a good place based on our calculations. Mm-hmm. What are those calculations? Again, in the course, we go into a lot of detail because it, there is really no standardized way of right mm-hmm. coming up with that goal. There's many different ways of looking. Dr. Rebecca Peoples has created an amazing way to include the height and weight of the parent in that assessment, mm-hmm. looking at also weight prior, the premorbid weight, which I find to be very effective a lot of times to look at that weight and then obviously adjust per age for where the client is now. And then looking at obviously all the other growth curves throughout the whole lifespan of the child Whatever is ever so you can. Yeah. She was a guest on our podcast
1: with during the medical series. And we had Dr. Michaela Voss who's a pediatric specialist, adolescent med and eating disorder. So it was a great conversation. Growth charts have to be part of that because dietitians are kind of taught, go to the 50th percentile. And if they're above, you know, it's just way too loosey goosey for
0: that. So that's phase, that's phase two or. Phase two starts when we do, when the child is approaching estimated target weight for age. Okay. And then we start the slow handing back. The first um, handing back might be, it's either, you know, this nutritional bar or this one or this other one, you know, we could go so slow as like, we're giving them two choices within a same calorie level, obviously, we're not wanting them to look at that. But yes. you know, and I say they it's really the parents doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, it isn't starting off with Oh, you're going to make your you know, your dinner and you're going to plate it yourself. And of course, Oosh. but then the rest of it, you know, oh. we're in control of. Our, we really want to start small. So it's a this or a that, as I call it. And then we mm. start progressing, which is, you know, the parent is maybe plating, the rice on the plate and the child is told to plate the protein and maybe the vegetables i the reason why i say that is often carbohydrates can be what you know the teen is not wanting to put very much on you know so we can do a cell like that we can get to the point where we're asking the teen to plate the whole plate but of course the parent always we always encourage that you know that they correct So we have this, you know, back and forth. And then of course we get to a place where, you know, we're asking the team to actually make the choice. Like you're going to be packing your, your, your lunch, go ahead and make the decision and then I'll check it as your mom, you know, and I'll add in more or first ask you to add more. And if it's not appropriate, you know, I will actually add more. And and of course I'm asking you to finish this all and even perhaps take a picture, which I talk about using, Food photo technology for accountability and to really have parents utilize that. And this, I just want to put this in. This is how I work with FBT, which dietitians who do not work within that realm, We often don't give meal planning such as this is a calorie amount, parents. This is what you need to feed. Not that that's not helpful, and not that I don't do that at times or an exchange meal plan, Mm -hmm. but really it doesn't go against it, goes against the spirit of FBT, which is really the individualized family, what the family eats normally, as long as there's not an eating disorder. In the family, or there's really restrictive practices and getting back to that cuisine. And so, what I have found is that the best way for me to lead the parent is for them to just start sending photos and I build immediately on that. What are you doing? Let's build on this. And again, doesn't mean that we don't talk calories at some point with the parents, or even sometimes. Parents are so familiar with um, exchange programs; it's something that they're interested in knowing and and continuing. And yet, what I see is once they start doing the photos, I don't think I've had any parent that has remained in the calorie mode, or has remained exchanges. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're seeing that it's just let me let me just get some perspective, and let me also have kind of a, a memory of what I'm doing. They look back, okay, this yeah. was a really good one, and this yeah. worked, and you know, yep. now it's easy one. to shop but because we've got
1: that we know amounts because we've got the pictures to refer to. Awesome.
0: Okay. That's then what's phase three. So phase three would be the start of, well, it's not really a start. Some of these phases blend into each other. Phase two and phase three more so can blend. Phase one to go to phase two is pretty clear because we're looking at a target goal. And two to three, it's when full control has been handed back. So we've gone through a whole mode here of you know, having the team practice, plating, having accountability. And then in phase three, they are doing this on their own. There can still though be accountability. Like they might, they might be meeting with me at that point to build a rapport. They have questions. They've started, you know, back in their sports team. They really need to, think about how they're going to refuel. And so, you know, they're still wanting some, some sort of guidance. I have other cases where I'm not seeing the teen in any of the three phases. Again, in my style, ne- I usually never see them in phase one, phase two, they might start seeing me because they're interested in seeing me. And sometimes also, it can drive a little bit more. They feel like they're making progress. Like I wasn't allowed to see a dietitian in the beginning and mm-hmm. now yeah.
1: just my parents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it can drive okay. a little bit more and then they're happy because they're like, oh, I'm seeing her and I'm able to do more independence mm-hmm. under her guidance. I never shut up the parents though. They're always still involved. Always. I'm just added yeah. on. So phase three is really, you know, still some, it's definitely some monitoring. We don't say again, parents don't have any, any right to to monitor to correct if need be but at that point in phase three you know they really are in an age appropriate way by the way because we don't have a 10 year old that's gone through you know it's in phase three they're not usually making their own dinner right Mm -hmm. or (laughs) want them to so so it needs to be age appropriate but we're really having the the age appropriate independence back and so supportive of the whole process of the family The child, the
1: teen, whatever it is, those that it's like you said, it's a game changer. So, this is, you know, kind of what this podcast is about, too, is like bringing in what are the modalities that people are using, what's evidence based. It's not going to work for everyone, 100% of the people, but it is a huge improvement to whatever we had before. And so, Tell us about the course because you've mentioned names, you've done some name dropping. Dr.
0: Lauren yes. Molheim, Dr. Rebecca Peebles, and you, yes, okay. And I want to add who else amazing researcher in FPT, Renee Renicky. Okay, is, has an amazing hour long presentation regarding the background of FPT, how it was formulated. Oh. Mo, you know, at the Mosley Hospital in London, yeah. the research, the perspectives of eating disorders in the early days and how it changed from blaming the family to now we try to be or encourage this agnostic view of yeah. the eating disorder and we encourage family empowerment. She's beautifully included in this and you know, high power it. team. Yes. And then I want to mention that we have a parent perspective, Katie Mackey, who is a registered nurse who refed her daughter through FBT in the very unique ages of nine to, I think between nine, 10 is when she started and really carried her daughter to gain the weight that's needed, which is not only weight, you know, from the weight loss of the eating disorder, but the fact that we're driving growth, maturity. Huge. And she actually has a beautiful blog post on feast that I would highly recommend anybody just look up her name. I think she calls it the long game. So I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Yes, it's beautiful. And she really points to the fact that the average girl gains 40 to 50 pounds. This is without an eating disorder during the ages of nine to 14 grows about 10 inches a boy, 50 to 60 pounds, expected weight gain during the nine to 14 age and grows about 12 inches. And then if you really like go, you know, zoom back, which Dr. Rebecca Peoples does in her section of, of the course, really looking at 10 to 16, like how much weight, even if there isn't an eating, you know, eating disorder, I mean, I think we're dealing with like 50 to 60 pounds for a girl and believe it's like 60 to 80 for a boy. So I'm only bringing that up with this understanding that how do we get there? And, and Katie Mackey really discusses how she started off 2000 calories, 2,500 was okay, gained in the beginning. And then she had to keep on going up and up and up and to normalize that 6,000 calories at some point, again, not that we always have to be counting, but this understanding that higher level calorie amounts actually drive recovery. They drive the refeeding. Thank you, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) And this is something us, as us as dietitians, we have to get comfortable with because it's not something that we're usually working within. Yeah, this is so
1: beautiful, and it really is because I was at the Children's uh, children's hospital in the eating disorders program for several years, eight years of my career, and it is. The weight is such a sticking point for so many that these numbers, this is just if you left kids alone and they didn't have this genetic predisposition or the cultural pieces of it, then they would be gaining, like you said, 40 to 50 pound fem- a female from nine, ages 9 to 14. Okay, so but those are just formulas that dietitians are taught and Dr. Peebles is going to bring in... How do you flex within that? Because what do we, you know, what if it's all over the place? Or what if we don't have good data points or, or those things? What a power
0: team. Yes. I'm so, so this, I'm, I'm so grateful and honored to be asked. And I want to again mm. commend Dr. Lauren Molheim. She brought us all together for this. And her she, book is Yes, her book. Yeah. What, it's actually a long title, How to Feed, How to
1: you know what, teen? I don't remember, but I, anyways, I'll have it in the show notes too. Yes. She's yes. she's amazing, yes. and so this course is being offered through EDRD Pro, and it's available soon. So this is real time. We're Katie and I are talking right now in October, end of October, but it's coming available pretty soon. But it's not live, so you can do it at your
0: own pace. Tell me more about that. Yes, so it is a 100% online course. It's self-paced. It is 20 continuous education units already approved by the CDR, which is wonderful. It launches November 1st. It will be available for three years. The live sessions obviously probably won't continue for three years every month, Mm -hmm. but already Katie Mackey will be speaking on January 25th. 5pm, that will be live. And then the calculating estimated target weight for age is Wednesday, January 11th. Again, when I say 5pm, I'm talking about Pacific. So Mm -hmm. just be aware of that. And so yes, so the course, you know, in terms of you being involved, doing it at your own pace, Mm -hmm. it's probably around 10 hours of recordings. So it's, you know, so just be aware of that. And obviously you can do it in your own. It has 10 modules, I believe, if we include module 10, being Katie Mackey's perspective, Mama Bear's perspective, as she, uh, she calls it. I love it. Um, yeah. And so again, you could do you know, half of a module and then you know, take a break and then go back. So you don't need to worry about finishing that You know each mm-hmm. module within a certain amount of time. And there is a back and forth we have, obviously, for the research, that's going to be one module, the medical piece, one module. Dr. Molheim has a module on her own, but we also have some interactive modules where Dr. Molheim and I go back and forth. Okay. And Do you, Is there any
1: lifetime with you and Dr. Molheim, like separate, your separate yes, lifetime? So that's like that's okay. we're
0: going to be creating. We're, we're hoping, like in January, as you hear, we're already having two lives. We're mm-hmm. hoping at least one live per month. I I don't know how long that's going to go, but earlier on in the launching of this, we're going to be doing that. I mean, I personally would like there to be a live about college preparing, you know, preparing our families. I'm going to say families because we want the parents to really understand level of recovery needed to go to college, Mm -hmm. really showing dietitians what recovery contracts can look like. Mm-hmm. really innovative. I know myself and Dr. Mohan how we write those and help. And being a dietitian, we can drive that. And we don't need to leave that to a therapist if the therapist doesn't want to be involved, or we can co-create, obviously. So I'm hoping that we'll have maybe, you know, a live on that topic, but of course, other topics, and we will be opening it up so that Also, those that enroll in this course can let us know what you're interested in. You know, this is with you coming in and maybe you just started the course, you know, on your own self-pace or, you know, it's not as if you have to do the whole course and then have questions. You might actually have questions that, you know, want to know more about what you will be experiencing the course, wanting to know different angles. You know, we do feel it's very comprehensive. I go through my own practice style of how I work with teams when I have an FBT therapist, no FBT therapist, only an individual therapist, no individual therapist, a doctor, a doctor that specializes in eating disorders, a doctor that doesn't, and how I build teams, how I communicate. Yeah. How do we do that as the dietitian in all those
1: scenarios? Because we can say best case scenario, we have the full FBT informed team. And then all of those that you just, just look, this I I think before we got on this, we were talking about Sumner Brooks, who has started EDRD Pro. And I have never seen her so pumped up about something. And so with my work with kids in the eating disorders program and the FBT informed, we called it modified Maudsley, and some of it was was actual FBT. The, the psychologist had that background, but it's hard work. And for dietitians like that, to hear you talk about how your practice is or how you practice and the verbiage that you use 20 CEUs, lots of hours, including 10 hours of
0: recordings, live sessions. And I also include, I mean, I have slides for this and all the resources, what to actually give the parents in terms to back up what you're saying. If we're talking about higher weights than they've ever heard before, sometimes it's higher weights, even that doctors are hearing. They're like, why are you advocating for this? I'm worried about now this child going to the other side. We really need to back up what we're saying. So I actually have the research article I have, and we have more often than not also articles and blog posts that we as professionals have, have written. I, I feel that that is, you know, just as powerful. And that really, if we can give the research amongst our own testimonials, conversations, I include Dr. Mm Molheim's beautiful article that she really talks about, are we estimating weights too low? She has testimonials of parents that are, that decided to do FBT where we're in these BMIs that are a lot higher. And then the transformation of the psychology that happens getting to these mm-hmm. weights, but these are BMIs that doctors can be uncomfortable with. Parents can be uncomfortable with. So I, I really give those tangible. So, because and I even call, I have three specifically that the golden three, and I think it's really important. Emily Boring's article that she talks about her own journey of why she's really encouraging parents to drive the weight up because in her own self. She saw that there was, you know, a curve of where the eating disorder would be versus the, where recovery would be depending upon her own weight and how it was really clear. So, you know, I, I call them the golden three, but if we can give parents information, testimonials and research Therapists, this information, doctors, this information, I think the more, and this, this does mean, okay, we need to email, we need mm-hmm. to email post session to parents, give them the support materials, of course, the nutritional support materials to really drive the refeeding to one to two pounds, minimally per week.
1: Uh-huh. See Wanting these are
0: get, guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. We and need to get comfortable with. Yes. So yes, yeah, So we offer that I I offer that in the course. And hopefully, I, you know, and I encourage the dietitians to really utilize and even expand on my own resources. But I think we have to gather these tools to back up what we're saying. And we often have to keep on going back to those tools. I know for some of these cases, I've sent the same article, like, three or four times to the parent to remind mm. them. It's usually the third time or the fourth time they tend to really get it, you mm. know, but we need to back up what we're saying in the research as well as the effectiveness of hearing personal testimonials as well as parent testimonials of getting to the other side and how FBT-informed care really, really meant recovery for so many.
1: So awesome. Katie, We I could really just learned so much from you. And we, we usually have a wrap up question, but I'm going to let people just sign up for the course so that they can find out from you. Because I imagine the, the, the question is, what do you wish you would have known when you entered the field of eating disorders that you do know now? And I think you've shared some of it, but also That course is your baby. It's really everything that you wish you would have known that is going to prepare the dietitian to be successful in this and then help our clients because that's the whole thing. This is hard work. Dietitians weren't welcomed in the beginning from what I understand. And that's old news in my book because there's so many of us doing this work now. And so thank
0: you for this. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been an honor. I do want to just mention to correct the title of Dr. Lauren Moheim's book, When Your Teen Has an Eating Disorder, Practical Strategies to Help Your Teen Recover from Anorexia, Bulimia, and Binge Eating. It's an amazing book, highly recommend. It's a resource for us as dietitians, obviously for all providers working within this field, but for parents to really have this. And it's been amazing to see parents finding this book and then actually getting care set up. Um mm. uh, it's been such an amazing, you know, journey. So I just want to make sure, please. I'm really glad you brought that up because
1: I wanna honor the full. I mean, we we both are referring to this book. It's been a handbook that has been needed for so long and it's it's out
0: there and available to us. So let's honor it with the full title. Thank you. Yes. No, no, no. You're so welcome. And just if I can last say, I just wanna mention this part the course is really talking about empowerment, empowerment of the parents. But I really also have sections in the course where I'm really talking about dietitians giving their own permission to go in these directions of care, Mm -hmm. leading teams, making the decision to really advocate for FPT-informed care. It's a position that maybe some of us have not been in before. I don't know if we often... Have we often talk about giving ourselves permission in this way? You know, dietitians can be put in different categories, employment wise, and so forth. And so, the empowerment of the dietitian we have such an amazing skill set that's coming from how we're trained, but we also have each of our unique style of practice that really comes from day in and day out working with clients, being creative. And I would like to say my whole being is really being a part of how I developed this, obviously, with the help of all these amazing other providers that I developed this further with. But I want to, you know, I'm I'm working on honoring that in myself. And even my upbringing, I was raised in a military family. So a line of service, colonels, generals, lieutenant colonels, also public health that I worked within as well. I have a family member that is also, works for the state department. These are all various service type work that in its best, I know that there's a lot within government, but in its best, it's about honor. It's about service, it's about integrity. And it's about going beyond yourself to really, mm. really help. It, it can feel sometimes like a sacrifice. This work, eating disorder work is very, very intense and i feel like this is why of course such as what we're providing can streamline the process we already know it's intense we have each of us have have, have- Tools of how we've made it mm-hmm. more feasible to practice and, and, and have practices that are sustainable. And yet the more we can share and, you know, really say, aha, I really have something here. I think, you know, it's going to make us all able to continue this pursuit because it is something we need more. We mm-hmm. need, we need to continue those of us we that are do. in this. but yeah. we need others to join and to not say, oh, eating disorders, it's way too hard. I know at one point when I was a young dietitian, I thought, no, I don't no. think. <laughs> yeah. So. And you
1: said the day in and the day out practice, we have to apply. We can't just webinar all the time. Right. And then there's one thing you threw in there that, yes, it's hard, but being creative, that's the fun part that, of it. It's like, let one. me think about how we can do it with this family and this situation and this whatever. So thank yeah. you,
0: Katie Grubiak, for joining us today on the Seasoned RD. Thank you so much, Beth. It's been an honor, a privilege, and I look forward to seeing you all enrolled in the course. In the course, yeah. that's right.
1: Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherrell.com professionals.